0: Southeast Radio's morning mix. Chat, news and your views. Alan Corcoran. Good morning to you, Alan. Here we are on the 1st of September and uh, again yesterday, climate change dominated the landscape and the sad passing of a little child, just one year of age, um, killed allegedly by a hailstorm. I mean, what are we living in at the moment? What would have
1: caused something like this, Gerald? Well, big hailstones do occur in, in particularly southern Europe in continental hot weather, and um, they, they can occur any time of the year, but they're more typical at this time of the year. I wouldn't be too pushed about tying that event into climate change because... Those events have happened before. I remember, oh, it must be nearly 40 years ago now, a very severe event in, in Munich which actually damaged aircraft with the size of the hailstones. Uh, it was ex- obviously extremely unfortunate. The poor young child was, was just hit in a way on the head probably by an extremely large hailstone. I saw some measurements of, um, I think it was around 10 centimetres in diameter. It was a huge thing, you know, bigger than a, a Schlitter, you know. Yeah. So something like that coming down at you from, from right. on high... with with a fair bit of momentum would do you could see how it could do damage, uh, serious damage to a a young baby's skull which would be very soft anyway
0: and we were speaking off air about hail and the way you should approach it particularly if you're a motorist and it's very interesting what you had to say there would you just like to share that with us about hail because sometimes we come across hail hopefully nothing like what happened and caused that that Uh, death of that poor unfortunate Mm -hmm. little girl but uh, when hail strikes,
1: what should you do? If you're driving, and this is a particular problem on the roads, and I know having worked with um, what used to be the National Roads Authority now Transport Infrastructure Ireland over many years it was one of the big challenges that we all had was trying to forecast hail because in the winter time in particular when the road surface might be maybe 5 or 6 degrees or something like that above zero when hail comes the hail, when it hits the road, it drops the road surface temperature very rapidly. So the road surface temperature could very rapidly go from plus 5 to about minus 2 or minus 3. And now you're below freezing. Yeah. The hail is melting and refreezing as black ice. And you're driving along on the motorway and it's been perfectly dry and sunny and suddenly you run into a place where there's a hailstorm yeah. and there's ice on the road. Yeah. Um, happened to me once, actually, just up north of Gory, There was a lady killed at the time. Uh, I think there was a post office group going up to... Um, Leperstown, if I recall, and a few days after Christmas that's probably oh, 10 more 15 years ago, but it's the sort of thing where the road seems perfectly safe and suddenly it's lethal, mm. uh, and so if you see big black clouds and you see any sign of hail, yeah. slow down and be careful Right, you join me at a time when last week we've seen yet another
0: consequence of climate change in Pakistan, mm. and closer to home, Wexford has been severely impacted by climate change um, we've seen what happened in New Ross. and as I mentioned yesterday, uh, in the package I did when I was in New Ross, and Eamon- or the Director of Services described coming at the top of New Ross Hill, the sunshine, then coming down and he described it almost like
1: Armageddon mm. uh, I suppose the first question is what is causing all of this, John? So with the changing climate we know that the air temperature is, is higher uh, and when air gets warmer, it holds more moisture, there's a, a relationship between the amount of moisture that air can hold, moisture vapour that is, like mm. the Humidity, as we call it, you know, that we we, uh, all air has humidity. Cold air has very low amounts of moisture. Warm air has much more. And as you increase the temperature, that increases very rapidly. Mm. So an increase of one or two degrees in temperature increases the moisture content of the air very significantly, about 7% per degree. Uh, So if you've got more moisture in the air, when a rain event comes, it can be that much heavier. But it also seems that this is not just something that everything is suddenly 7% wetter. You know, yeah. we, we just get a awful lot more, fewer very heavy events but when they do come, they're absolutely catastrophic and that's a signal we're seeing. I was in Belgium a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to a gentleman there and he said, the last five summers, four of them have been droughts and one of them has been floods. So it seems like we're going to a a climate where we're going to experience more in the way of extremes on both ends of the spectrum.
0: And why would it be like, when I looked out my door, I live up around by the hospital, when I looked out my door, the sun was shining. At the same time, when I checked social media, uh, all hell was breaking loose in New Ross. Why why did it, like, it it affected New Ross and yet it didn't
1: come 20, you know, 40 kilometres down the road? So so these sorts of of very intense downpours come from what we call convective clouds. Uh, So they're the kind of the fluffy ones that look kind of very nice uh, yeah. uh, in the sky, and painters love to paint them, uh, but they contain huge amounts of moisture. They're not terribly large in in aerial extent, if you like. They're very high; they go up very high in the atmosphere. But they might be no more than, say, ten kilometres by five kilometres in in extent, if you like, yeah. horizontally over the ground. So you can have, you know, a village completely dry and sunny, and the next village is. is completely awash with the with, uh, heavy rain that's come very suddenly from one of these very heavy, thundery, yeah. convective events. And
0: are they linked directly to climate change then? What you're, what well, you're talking to me about, is climate change causing this effect?
1: It's, it's, in a sense, supercharging them. I mean, they've always been there and they always yeah. will be there. They're just one of the natural ways that the atmosphere works. But when you've got more moisture, yeah. you know, they're collecting more moisture up from the surrounding air and therefore they're dumping much heavier amounts of rain when they do dump. So when one of these big convective showers or thundery showers uh happens, it, it kind of sucks in the air from the surrounding areas which is why the surrounding areas are actually clear and dry yeah. because the moisture has been taken out of them and it's all been concentrated in this cloud and then it goes up and down and up and down within the cloud and eventually falls out and you get, as well as the heavy rain you get these very sharp downdrafts which bring down cold air and they drive the momentum of the rain coming down too so it gets really really intense and heavy But Tonight you're presenting a talk entitled From Climate Change
0: to Weather Impacts. What can we expect now it's 7 o'clock in Wexford Library is it? Yep. I'd imagine you're going to be demands there's going to be demands on you to bring this all around the county because there's such interest in this but it's open to the public yep. and it's is it free or absolutely do you have to have a ticket? No, no.
1: Absolutely no, as far as I know the library, uh, these, these talks the library have been very proactive in putting on a series of talks of public interest uh, I'm just one of them but uh, yep. kicking off their, their new season I suppose after the summer. Okay. So can you give us a summary of what you'll be discussing then
0: if people want to attend tonight?
1: Yeah so I'm going to start looking at, at extreme weather uh, and, and then try to link that back to climate change because when we think of climate change we probably tend to think, well it's a degree high, warmer, it's a bit wetter we think incrementally, you know, but it's not going to be incremental, it's going to be much more in the way of extremes and we look at this globally, we look at some statistics from around the globe at mm-hmm. the sort of events that that. Weather hazards cause, and, and obviously we've seen in Pakistan recently, you know, a very extreme example of that—something like a third of the country possibly underwater. Um, but in those countries, where. I suppose life is, is much more marginal than it is here. Yeah. You know, the damage that can be done is consequently much much greater socially and, and, and to people's lives and health and so on. So we we'll look at at that. We'll try and and look at the what we call the epidemiology of disasters: how they're scattered around the world, how they're scattered in time, what they are. You know, the biggest killer, weather killer in in Europe and the U.S. is not rain and it's not wind; it's heat. Heat, heat. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. And we've, had intense, and we've the, had intense heat. And we've had intense heat. Yeah. So you, you've got to look at the bigger picture and some things like heat and drought are, are not something that suddenly happens like those very heavy downpours that cause the flooding in Eurost. They're you know, something that happens over periods of time, longer yeah. periods of time and it's the accumulation of them that often causes the damage in terms of people's health and so on. Right. So these connections are not necessarily straightforward or simple but we need to understand them better to understand how our climate is changing and how we should begin to protect ourselves from it. Now you've been talking about climate disruption since the mid-1980s mm-hmm. and yet global
0: carbon emissions continue the relentless rise so how much does climate change translate into our day-to-day weather? Because as I said, and I mentioned it yesterday there, there, there came a time when people just couldn't bear the mention of the word COVID and still many can't. Yep. They Just please don't talk about that. Climate change we need to get the message out there, but again, there's a tendency
1: for people to say, oh, not that again, but it's yeah, it's so serious, you have to keep it up there, don't you? And that's the problem. You know, it's a long-term problem. It's a problem of years and decades, Yeah, and we don't want to be talking about it every day, but we need to be doing something about it every day.
0: And if, you've been talking about it since the 80s, so has it fallen on deaf ears, Gerald?
1: Uh, look, we know that there's been um, a very intensive programme by certain vested interests globally, if you yeah. like, to make sure that climate change didn't get the attention it deserved at a political level, mm. that played it down, that tried to muddy the waters with other things and so on uh, and, and the evidence for that is there. Unfortunately, that's had a significant effect on, on the political will over the last number of decades. I think that's changing now. I think people are, are well, the weather is changing. It's not like a question of this is something in the future. Mm. This is something now yeah. and if we're concerned at all about it, you know, how the climate we're going to live in and our children and our grandchildren, we have to do something about it now. It's, it's not something we can put off anymore. In fact, you know, what we've done in the last number of decades has made it much more difficult to get on top of the problem. Right.
0: Okay. Well, can I talk farming to you and, and emissions
1: from cattle, sure. methane?
0: Yep. How big an issue is that in, in Ireland at the moment? It, is it a serious issue?
1: It, it's a significant issue. It's a significant part of what Ireland is, is contributing, if you like, to the problem. Uh, because methane is a more long-lived gas than carbon dioxide in terms of the atmosphere. Not more long-lived as such, but it it has a much greater effect in terms of of what it does to the the atmosphere in terms of absorbing heat and so on. Um, You know, Our farming is going to have to change. Not just our farming, but farming globally. And our farming compared to a lot of others is very ecologically sound in that it's based on grass-fed beef and we know all that. Um, And there will still be need for farming. People will need to eat food. It may be that we'll have to change the way that our food uh, is produced and change our diets but look, at if we look back 10-15 years to the days of the uh, the milk quotas, you know, we didn't have as big a dairy herd then yeah. and we didn't um, you know, we, we've increased our dairy herd at a time when it probably wasn't that wise to do it from a climate change perspective. Uh, there are other ways of making money through farming other than dairying but unfortunately and I understand it entirely, your know, farmers have put a lot of investment into into dairying facilities or into beef yeah. or whatever a particular area they're in and they will need to be assisted to move from those production streams into other production streams, be it vegetables or whatever. Wexford is pretty well f- f- faced, uh, situated, I should say, in that you know, with our sunshine levels within Ireland um, and our you know very mild temperatures, we, we grow a lot of vegetables. We can grow a lot more, uh, so we would be, and we have obviously very good soils. We'd be one of the more favoured areas of the country in terms of what we can do and the range of, of food that we can produce. So we may
0: have to diversify a bit more. Absolutely, yes. That's interesting. Look, uh, the most recent extreme flooding was one of the areas we talked about. I didn't re- allude to what happened in Wexford over Christmas. Can you take us Can you remember what happened there in Bridgetown, that area? That was, uh, what, what would you put that down
1: to? That was, was again, very heavy rain uh, over, over a number of days. And, of course, that part of the coast, as in many parts of the Wexford coast, very low lying, uh, a lot of it's slob land, a lot of it effectively is reclaimed land. Uh, and, and those lands will always be very vulnerable. Mm. Uh, you have the same across the water in, in Shropshire in England where you've got the um, or Somerset I should say, the Somerset levels as they're called which are, are just uh, south of Bristol there which are another area of very reclaimed land and they had very serious flooding there some years back. So because it's low, you know, the, the rate at which water can flow off those lands and into the sea is very slow yeah. and when heavy rain comes it just takes a long time to drain out and you know, without digging multiple drainage channels and even that wouldn't help a lot because it's it's just purely so flat. Uh, We've
0: got a comment from Anne wants to know, could I get your view on planes, um, the jet stream and rockets going up into the atmosphere? How much of a, uh, an impact is that
1: having mm. globally? Aircraft, aircraft have a big impact, do they? Uh, yeah, they do have a big impact, um, and and it's going to be a challenge for us because we live on an island, obviously, yeah. and we're we're great flyers, you know. As a as a nation, I'd say we take more flights per head than most other European nations, understandably because of where we live. Uh, I, mean, I was up in Dublin Airport recently, uh, close to midnight, watching people come in Terminal One, and it was just a continuous stream mm. of planes landing from all over Europe. Um, that's you know that, that's a business which will have to adapt significantly. And uh, to be fair, even Michael O'Leary and people like that understand that it has to change and has to adapt. They're doing some experimentation with electrically powered planes, but they're a long way in the future. I think you know the the power sources that to drive aircraft hmm. uh, to move away from aviation fuel is serious. Rockets, well there aren't so many of those, I don't think those are such a big yeah. deal. The jet stream is just part of the, the way the atmosphere works, it's it's a ribbon of air. Uh, but it has to adapt as well uh, Yeah, well the jet stream is a natural thing Oh sorry, yeah, uh, yeah but, but, it, but, the, but air flight has to adapt. Air flight has to yeah. adapt, I think and, and that'll be a challenge for us. Again in Wexford, close to you know, probably the busiest port in, in the country in terms of continental traffic uh, Mm. that's one of the effects we might see locally is just far far more ferries would that be a good thing for us business wise? It would. Potentially, it? it would. Potentially yeah, it would. Yeah. But, you know, we need to be ready for it. We need to prepare for it. Uh, mm, okay. We need to start thinking about the infrastructure that that's going to require, yeah. uh, not in, even just in terms of the port, but in terms of the roads, in terms of the, the businesses, in terms of the hospitality industry, and all that. That would be demanded by yeah. the greater numbers of people travelling through Rosslare.
0: Can we look at weather forecasting? Because during the summer, uh, I would have had a number of comments coming in from listeners to say, hang on a second, the weather forecast said such, 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 and such, but the opposite has happened. Has all this is it creating havoc in getting accurate weather forecasting? And if so, Gerald, how are they going to be able to adapt to kind of cope with what is happening? Yeah, I, I mean,
1: no one could assign posts of what was going to happen in your ass, could they? Uh, you could give a, a risk of, of very heavy showers, but you cannot at this stage give. Precision as to where and when that will happen. So you might have said there's a risk of very heavy thundery rain over the southeast, but whether it would happen in Waterford and Kilkenny and Carlow and Wexford, in New Ross, in Bunclody, in Enniscorthy, uh, in Kilmuckridge, whatever, yeah. you know, it would have been impossible to pinpoint that. You could only do that in a very short term by looking at the weather radar uh, and looking at the way that the actually because you can detect these on the weather radar but that's only going to give you one or two hours notice at the most yeah. wexford isn't all that well served with weather, weather radars we have two weather radars uh from midair and one in dublin and one in shannon uh and i know the med are working on developing a, a broader network which would give better coverage yeah. which would allow us to detect these uh more but even still you're still only looking at one or two hours but in terms of climate change and weather forecasting they're two really different things um weather forecasting will never be a perfect science that's just and you can only go
0: two weeks at a time at the uh, moment though
1: we're getting some better skill now not so much in this part of the world but in other parts of the world in going three four weeks at a time uh, and even seasonally because in other parts of the world the connections between the weather and say the sea temperatures are much more solid than they are here so depending on where you are in the world and depending on what uh, season you're in you can sometimes look further ahead with some skill Okay, time is catching up on us, but uh, Bill,
0: it kind of reflects what I get quite a lot when we raise the issue of climate change. uh, There's the opposite extreme as well. Uh, A lot of people are very supportive of getting the message out there. Bill has just texted to me, I'm sick to the arse listening to climate change. It's just nature. A bag of coal, 38 euro. More people will die from the coal this year than anything else. There already is a bit of a rush on people buying firewood. So how, again, to people like Bill, do you get the message across,
1: Gerald, about the importance of it? He's not giving out to you Ways get out to me. <laughs> That's all right. No, I mean, he's, he's, he's entitled to his point of view. Uh, and he has a very good point that, you know, people need to, to be warm in this country, though thankfully we don't get the low temperatures that are experienced in many other countries at these latitudes. We live in a very temperate climate, you know, we're very fortunate in that way. But we still need to keep warm in the wintertime, and particularly the elderly <clears throat> and many people who are ill, you know, need heat to keep warm. Um, And and it's a little bit like the COVID situation, you know. If you try to, if you put all your efforts into making sure that COVID is, is we have zero COVID, then you're going to cause knock on problems for people with other illnesses or other vulnerabilities. So we have to try and see this in the round. Um, Of course, the the long term answer to Bill's problem is to insulate all our houses and to provide. electrical heating through renewable electricity through wind farms and whatever which means that we're not burning anything in order to keep ourselves warm and to keep our houses comfortable but yeah. that's going to take you Do know, governments
0: ever call on people like you because my final question is Is there anything more the government can do? Would you ever be consulted by the
1: government for your advice? It, it wouldn't be me as such but certainly Met Aaron are and the director of Met Aaron really? sits on the yeah. Council, Ch- Climate Change Council and Met Aaron have recently uh, Created what we call a climate services division, headed by a guy called Keith Lampkin and Keith's very good, yeah. a very experienced meteorologist, climatologist, who whose whole sole job almost is to advise government air departments and yeah. others. I'm glad to
0: hear that because you probably made more sense. I know, speaking personally, you made more sense to me than a lot of what I've been reading about this and hearing about this because you've, you've you've simplified it for us to follow and to understand, and hopefully people can follow up on it. So as I thank you for joining me, how important yeah, sure. is it to educate young people in all of this? How important do do you think it should be very much high in the curricular, uh, in schools, primary and secondary?
1: You know, I think young people...
0: They're already across it, are pretty it, aren't they? well across it, you Yeah, know yeah. I mean,
1: of course they should understand the science of it as best they can. Not everybody wants or should or needs to understand the science, but they need to understand, in a simple-minded way, if you like, the... the the impacts of you know, cause and effect, what we're doing now and the yeah. effects of that uh, so that we can take sensible decisions about how we move forward with our society.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. 7 o'clock in the library tonight in yep. Wexford Town. There may be demands for you to go to other libraries as well, but sure, if I get them, I'll pass them on to you. Over time. Uh, uh, thank you for taking time to talk to us in studio this morning, Gerald.
1: Always a pleasure. Alan.
0: Always. 7 o'clock, Wexford Library this evening. You have me advised, my advice is for you to get there early. some wonderful surroundings in the library as well. I've been at several uh, events that have taken place there. You have been told get there early and you'll take questions from the floor. Of course, yeah. 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 Gerald Fleming. Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views.